You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. We are getting you ready for the Seahawks game against the Minnesota Vikings. And by we, I mean John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, John. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm fantastic. And I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the team. And John, I think that there's a lot to dive into this week before we actually get into the matchup against the Vikings. And I'm really sad to say that it's not more positive because there were some cool things that happened in Sunday's game against the Titans, including Bobby Wagner with 20 tackles and Tyler Lockett doing it again. He's been insane. Wait, which one? Because both. I meant Tyler Lockett, but you're right. Both of them. I mean, Bobby Wagner, it's funny, you know, week one, Pete Carroll's kind of joking about, oh, ho-hum, 13 tackles. We take it for granted. uh, It was kind of like Bobby's response was fine. How about 20? Will you notice now? And man, he was awesome. Had a great sack just on a perfect blitz. Um, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. It's what you expect. But, yeah, Tyler Lockett, I mean, it, look, we've been talking about him being maybe one of the most underrated receivers in the league for a while now. It, that's going to stop soon if he keeps doing this because it's, it's impossible to ignore what he's done for the first couple of weeks. You know, I want to back up. And the whole Bobby Wagner being a Hall of Famer, first of all, right now, he leads the NFL with 33 tackles. I have always loved and appreciated Bobby's game. And the longevity of his career puts him in the conversation of Hall of Fame. But I don't know why it surprises me that it has now become something that people have said after week one and week two of the season. Almost like he's flashier now than he has been in the past couple of years. Yeah, and it's, some of it's just kind of the resume he's built. You you know, you you become a first-team All-Pro, what is it, six times now, five in a row, I think. Like, that's – you just start looking at linebackers who have done that, and it's it's Hall of Famers. I mean, that's that's the company he's in now, and, yeah, he's he has not looked like he's lost a step at all. He's really impressive. Yeah, and his teammates are talking about the same thing. They had said that afterwards he is the gold jacket guy, and it does not surprise them at all that he was able to put together that effort. It goes back to the preparation that he brings every day and before every game. He's setting a great example for the young guys in that defensive line room. Meanwhile, let's go to Tyler Lockett. You talk about him being underrated. I wonder if some of that is just his preference to be under the radar and to not be the person that's out there making headlines or being in the news that much. Uh, He said that just uh, the other day, you know, he talked about the only difference. Someone asked him, you know, what's different for you this year with all the numbers he's putting up. He said, the only difference is y'all want to talk to me because he's, I mean, it's impossible to avoid the spotlight when you're playing like he is, but he, I mean, he's never been the big brash type receiver personality that maybe we stereotype with that position. And I think some of it too, not just his personality, but he's really always had another receiver who maybe takes a limelight from him a little bit. What, you know, before it was Doug Baldwin was kind of the number one guy and he was sort of the number two behind him. And then Doug Baldwin moves on and here comes DK Metcalf who looks like a superhero. And he just obviously is going to get attention with just the style of play he is and the way he looks. So he's always kind of flown under the radar in that regard as well. Well, and one of the reasons that Tyler can do what he does is he's got a quarterback that knows exactly where to put that ball so that Tyler is the only one with the opportunity to catch it. To see that connection between Russell and Lockett, it is special for Pete Carroll. It's really an exciting thing to watch and and 
in sports when you see players that have that have so much talent and so much awareness and then you get them together and then they can work off of each other you know and help each other and and take the, their play to such a level these two guys are just phenomenal I'm talking about Russ and, and, and Tyler are just phenomenal all around you know athletes and, and competitors and, and gifted you know performers and and, and it they bring out the best in each other always. I mean, consistently they do, and, and uh, it's really it's really marvelous to watch. For as awesome as it is to see that connection, John, I wonder if some of this is a bit of a catch-22 for the Seahawks and perhaps what we saw in the second half and overtime. You've got this great connection with your wide receivers, and you've got so many options down the field, and yet... If that ball falls incomplete or you can't make the play, they're in a really tough situation of not being able to stay on the field. Yeah, you know, that was that was the big issue in the second half last week. It, you know, it, I go back to the first game and they're taking some of these easy completions to the tight ends and the running backs. And then even that, that last drive of the first half this past week was phenomenal, just getting the ball to the open guy, moving down the field really easy. So, yeah, they do, you know, the, the deep shots are great. We love to see them. They're fun. It's fun to score fast like that. But we do need to see in the second half, especially a little bit more of a, a balanced, both balanced run and pass, but balanced passing attack of taking what's there because this offense needs to be a little more consistent through four quarters. What do you make of Pete's comments after the game that they scored too quickly and they couldn't actually establish a rhythm? I thought that was interesting, kind of in hindsight, thinking about how that game played out. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's so hard. You're not going to say, okay, Freddie Swain's wide open, don't throw it to him. I mean, that was the easiest touchdown you're going to get. You love the big plays, but if that's all you're doing, all of a sudden your defense is on the field for 80-some plays and 20 more minutes than the offense. and especially going against an offense that has a big physical running back, that takes its toll on the defense. So, again, you don't want to go away from the big plays. They're fun. They're a great way to score. They're great to have when you need them, but you also need to be able to keep the offense on the field. Right, and that is something that Pete Carroll addressed this week. It's not just keep the offense on the field. It's making sure that you can close out the game by running the ball when you need to. I would like us to be able to run the ball better in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, w I wish that was happening when you get ahead. You know, it's nice to be able to, to do that. And, and uh, it's always been the way that we, we love to finish games. And so I'm just hoping that we'll continue to, to develop so that when we need it, we can go to it. And that's why balance is so important. And that's why you, know, you guys always want to know, well, you talk about the running game. Well, there's there's reason why. It's really nice when you can pound the clock down and, 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 and uh, you know, and, and own the finish of the football game. We'd, it just hasn't happened as well as we would like. But, uh, um, you know, we've been ahead in both those games and, and we need to just finish this last one better than we did. And that's a big thing when Pete Carroll, you know, he just references. When he talks balance, and this is a really important point that I think sometimes gets missed, it's not about how many times you run the ball throughout the game. It's not about we need to run it, you know, 30 times. We need to run this many times on first down. It's about being able to do it when you need it. It's And that goes to the passing game, too. Part of balance is being able to throw when you need it. I always point back to there's that win in Carolina a few years ago where they just loaded the box to stop the run, and then they threw it all over the yard for 300-some yards and won that way. So it, to him, balance is always about having available what you need in that particular game. And in the second half, they needed to be able to run the ball to move the chains and keep the offense on the field, and they just didn't get to that enough. 
you know, how much do you think injuries played into fewer touches for Chris Carson? And Alex Collins, one touch, but he goes for over 20 yards on that when you thought maybe there was going to be something there. But we forget that Damian Lewis was playing with an injury. Brandon Shell didn't finish the game, and I wonder how much that changed play calling late. It can, yeah, for sure. If you don't feel like you got the right guys in there to, to kind of move the line and, and establish that. I was a little surprised. You're right. You know, you see Alex Collins get 25 yards. I mean, it was against kind of a prevent two minute defense, but still you'd, you'd think they would have in retrospect, like to, you know, get more carries all around and that would have gotten him more, but it's just hard. I mean, you, you have a drive where maybe you have just a plan to throw a couple times early and then settle into the running game. And if you don't get that first, first down drives over and you don't get to those carries. So it's not that I think they went in the second half thinking, let's just chuck it around and abandon the run, but they just didn't quite get to it because they couldn't stay on the field. Before we flip over and talk about the specific matchup against the Vikings Sunday, what have we learned about Jamal Adams and the way that this defense is operating with him after two weeks? I think a, a lot of ways we've learned they're still learning. I mean, that's something Pete Carroll just talked about is they're still kind of figuring out the best ways to use him. I think overall, maybe the thing we're seeing is they're going to rely on him a little bit less as a blitzer this year. He still got after the quarterback some, but I think that's good overall for him in the defense if you don't need to send him 10, 12 times a game if you're getting home with your front seven. And that's, you know, the ideal is you have that four-man, five-man pass rush that gets the job done. But, you know, he, he's still going to be a blitzer and they want to get those sacks and I think they're going to come for him. Well, and I think some of it perhaps is all of the things that he brings to the table and the element of surprise he can offer the defense. He does have a certain amount of freedom, as all of our players do, you know. If you know what you what the situation is and what the opportunity is presented, we want to go for it. You know, we're, we're trying to go for it. And uh, not outside the guidelines of the defense or the scheme ever on either side of the ball, you know. But, you know, I'm always encouraging guys, particularly guys that I know have it in them and have the instincts to go and, and, and to take shots. Um, I'm looking for the opportunities for them to do that and to try to gauge that as we go. And I know that there's a, there's a fine line there, you know, by going too far. And, uh, and taking chances that are outside of the scheme. One of the, the great take-a-shot guys we ever had was, was Michael Bennett. And, you know, Michael needed, he needed guidelines, but yet you needed to let him go, too, or he wouldn't make the plays that he would make. And so there was a little bit of plus-minus there at times. And, and uh, you know, we always hoped to, and for the most part, you know, he, he was great at it. I really thought that he was going to say Earl Thomas there because we've drawn that comparison so many times. So when he said Michael Bennett, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, you're right. Mike B had the same sort of tendencies and freedoms and, and had to fit within the scheme, too. Yeah. He did get into Earl a little later, though. So yeah, that. yeah. They both fit that mold of great playmaker who, you know, you had to they you had to give him a little room to freelance. And as Pete Carroll said, you also need to have, you know, you need to know it's coming and be able to cover for it. So, yeah. And that is teammates playing alongside each other over a period of time exactly. so that you know how to do that. They are going to need to do that against Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. On paper, the Seahawks have owned this matchup. They have a seven-game winning streak against the Vikings. They have not lost to Minnesota since 2009, but that could be a tough task this week. The Vikings have their home opener. They have lost two games, but John... They could have very easily won both of those games and been 2-0 and right now. Yeah, I mean, they're coming out, what is it? They've lost by combined four points. They missed pretty much what in the NFL should be a chip shot, a 37-yarder to win it against a really good Cardinals team last week. So, yeah, this is a, you know, you don't look at this roster and the talent they have and you don't see an 0-2 team. This is a really talented team, tons of weapons on offense, and uh, extremely hungry to, to get on track. And, you know, like we saw last week, Fans back in the building after a year away, that place is going to be fired up. So this is a tough one.
Well, and Kirk Cousins, we're familiar with what he looks like, but based on everything coming out of Minnesota, he is impressed teammates by taking his game up a little bit more, and it's something Pete's noticed too. He looks terrific. He's throwing all of the throws, whether it's the, the, the dropback stuff or, the, or the, the action stuff, on the edge. He, he uses the whole field. Um, he uses all the rhythms. They're, they're good in the quick game. They're good down the field on their play passes. And he's got guys that he can go to that, that make things happen on the edge uh, outside. So um, he's looked really good. And, and he's, he's accurate. And his arm is strong. And he's taken off a couple times and made some yards. So this is, this is, I see him as good as I've ever seen him. I think he looks that sharp starting the season. And for Pete Carroll to say as good as he's seen him, as we referenced, he's seen him a lot. And both in Minnesota and also Washington, I go back to that game when Washington won here a few years back and he just made some absurd deep ball throws late in the game. He's, you know, he hasn't had the playoff success to really elevate him into that, you know, what a lot of people would consider the top echelon of quarterbacks, but he's a really good player and he's, he's off to a great start, has not turned the ball over yet. And again, we, I go back to the weapons he has. He's got three really good receivers. They've got one of the best running backs in the NFL back there. So it's a, it's a pretty loaded offense. Six touchdowns for Kirk Cousins. No interceptions. He has not thrown an interception since December of 2020. He's working on the third longest streak in franchise history for not turning the ball over. And he is getting the ball out quicker. That offense is moving faster than it has in the last few years. Last week, three touchdowns in the first half. Then he puts him in position to win in the fourth quarter. Chip shot was missed. Their kicker, by the way, was two for two from 50-plus yards, which was even more of a heartbreaker for those fans in Minnesota you talk about the offense offensive weapons that they have Dalvin Cook has not finished a game against the Seahawks in the last three meetings and yet he is still racking up a ton of yards yeah I mean he is a phenomenal player he can make guys miss he can be physical great pass catcher that's a huge part of their offense getting him the ball in the screen game and all that but you're right he's he's been dinged up he's he's never had that you know healthy 16 game season and sure enough he's coming into this one with an ankle issue that kept him out of practice on Wednesday but look I I would be stunned if he's still not out there and still really effective even if he's playing he's he's a tough guy he's played through a lot of stuff so He's, he's a handful for a team that's already seen two really good running backs through two games. And that's what I was just going to say. It seems redundant to talk about the running week, back right? for a third straight week. But you got to talk about Cook because not only just the numbers, but he is a completely different style of runner. He's really explosive, totally different style of runner than what we just saw. Um, but, you know, equally as effective for the most part. I mean, nobody's effective as Derek, but, the, but his explosiveness on the edge is really really apparent and it, it, it carries over in the throwing game too. They screen him, they dump the ball to him and he's hard to get down and uh, you know we, we have a lot of respect for him. Yeah and look the Seahawks defense has seen just about everything that they are going to see from different styles of backs. They know what he's going to be like to tackle but as Ken Norton pointed out this week look he is more of the track guy. And by the time you get off your block, he is gone. He is going to run right past you. I think, again, time of possession becomes a conversation in this game. It doesn't matter how much rest you give these guys during the course of the week. They were on the field for 42 minutes last Sunday. You have got to get the defense off the field. But then again, I'm the person that always points to time of possession. Time of possession as a key indicator in the game. So maybe I'm wrong, John. No, I, th I don't think you need to win time and possession every week in the NFL to be successful, but you need to balance it out some, and that's particularly true against a team that wants to run the ball because that's where it really wears on defense.
And last point of this before we give the two things that need to happen this week. Daniil Hunter, we talk about Chandler Jones and what he can do to opposing quarterbacks. This guy needs to be in the conversation too. Yeah, he's come back from injury. He's got, what, four sacks already. He's going to be a handful for that offensive line. I, you know, Dwayne Brown has looks like he hasn't aged in about a decade, and he's still playing phenomenal, but they, you know, it's going to be a group effort to deal with Hunter. I hope somebody says that about me one day. Looks like you haven't aged. Oh, Jen, we already do. Don't worry. Oh, that's so sweet. Don't worry, Jen. That's so sweet. Hey, When you post those throwback things on Instagram, it's like, when was this, like last week? (laughs) Yeah, with really bad hair and really 90s clothes. Yeah. Yeah, That's the only thing that dates it is the hair and the clothes. Right. Right. Earlier this week, you and I were talking, and you said you thought DK Metcalf was due for a breakout game and thought that it could come this week. Why'd you say that? I just feel he's the kind of competitor that, look, he hasn't, I, there's been a lot of overreaction, I think, to his first two games. It's like he's played poorly. He was, you know, the Colts put a lot of emphasis in taking him out of the game in that first half. Tyler Lockett went off, and Metcalf had a really good second half of that game. And, yeah, the penalties haven't been great. He's had too many of those. But they're, they're effort penalties for the most part. He's blocking on run plays and on screen games. It's, he did have the one unsportsmanlike after a touchdown. That, you don't want that. But the rest of these penalties are things that, their effort penalties because he's working hard to help his teammates out. So, And I do think there's something else to point out about these penalties. One of those flags last week on one of the blocking plays, there was some miscommunication there. I know that there was miscommunication and that he would have released and that there would have been um, less contact there had everybody been on the same page. But more importantly, when he comes over to the sidelines – It has been washed. It's not like he's playing at a 12 all game and he's out of control. Do you know what I mean? Like that is a different type of I'm I'm giving too much effort. I'm not. My head's not in the game. That is entirely different. We're not seeing that from DK. He's in control. He can smile. He can let that go. And when you're playing like that, that is a different style of play, right? Yeah. And just the kind of competitor we know he is. And then also, look, you're going against this Viking secondary has had a lot of turnover. They're still finding their way. They've been giving up a lot of big plays. You also got to think at some point if Tyler Lockett's doing what he's doing, some of that attention that maybe week one was on DK Metcalf is going to be on Tyler Lockett. I just I think there's going to be opportunity for Metcalf. I think he's super motivated, and I I do think this is the game he kind of breaks out a little bit. The Vikings defense statistically is one of the worst in the NFL right now. But look, we don't have a large sample size, so I'm not going to hammer that. But they have given up 61 points and about 6.6 yards a play. So there is opportunity there, which makes me wonder, John Boyle, as we finish this up, does DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett figure into two things that you need to see this week to get a win? In a way, not directly those guys individually, but I'm going to say one of them is I just want to see the offense be consistent for, you know, it's not every drive can't be the same, but give me four quarters of your at least keep sustaining some drives, scoring some points. I, I just don't want the drastic one half is great, one half isn't. I, you know, give me four quarters of pretty solid offense. So, yeah, those guys factor into it, obviously, because they're huge parts of the offense, but it doesn't necessarily have to be just one of them. Other side of the ball, I want to see a little more consistency out of the pass rush. It looked really good in week one. And there are moments last week, but it was kind of hit or miss. And I I just want to see more steady pressure throughout the game.
I'm going to go statistically speaking on both of mine. I would like to see the Seahawks converting on third down 75% of the time. Third down has been a problem for this team. I know. That's a a big ask. It's a big ask. But look, we know that the yards are there, right? If you utilize Gerald Everett or, or if you're in a flow with this offense and you've got the entire playbook available, I don't think that it's unrealistic that they could click and actually be converting on that. The other way you could avoid needing to convert on third downs is not not to get to third down. So there's a lot of different ways we can do that, John, right? Like go three for four, only have four third downs. That's This is what I'm saying, right? You just hit Tyler Lockett a couple of times. Chris Carson's ripping off seven yards at a time. Come on, I can game plan this, John. The last thing I want to see is fewer than five penalties. Way too many penalty yards last week. And effort plays and all of that stuff, it does not matter. You cannot have 100 yards and penalties. Fewer than five penalties, and I'd like them to be the five-yard variety, yeah. not the 15 the Five 15-yarders last week. That was, That's you're right. Some of those are, look, the occasional hold is going to happen, but you, two late hits on the quarterback, yeah. the hit out of bounds, those are really easy to get rid of, and you got to clean those up. Yep, I would imagine that's a point of emphasis for Pete and the team this week. You know how we would draw things up. We will see how the Seahawks do that Sunday in Minnesota. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.